I'm Simon. And I'm Dan. And this is the We Didn't Mark Up, Dan. Oh, sh**. Keep all of this in focus. <laughs> Keep all of this in right. focus. All right. Three, two, one. Mark. Mark. Okay. And this is the Wikicast, a podcast where Wikipedia takes us to a random article and we talk about what we find. Dan, what are we talking about this week? This week, Simon, we are talking about Chatterton, open parentheses, horse, close parentheses. Oh, oh, and am I thinking of Chatterley House? Because I immediately, I had a gasp of recognition, but I think I'm thinking of something else. Yes, I think you might be. Because Chatterley House is, is that a... A royal house or something? Or is it, I'm getting confused. There's a Chatterley something that's royal. Isn't there? Um, Am I going mad? <laughs> oh, I'm thinking of Lady we, Chatterley's lover. Lady Chatterley, yeah, as I was gonna say, <laughs> the D.H. Lawrence book. Uh, yes, I think that's what I was thinking of. Ooh, if you go on the Lady Chatterley's lover wiki, the second sentence starts with, an expurgated edition was not published openly in the United Kingdom until 1960. Expurgated. Oh, right. Also known as bowdlerization is a form of censorship that involves purging anything deemed noxious or offensive from an artistic work. Huh. Interesting. Not heard of that before. Anyway, so... Rewind. Um, what are we talking about? A horse. Chatterton horse. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I... Okay, I, this, is a, this is a real bugbear of mine, Dan. Okay. I hate horse racing for one simple reason, and that's that... I spend a fair bit of time on Twitter, less than I used to, probably more than I still should. And what you'll often find is there'll be, uh, you know, in the in the trending news section, alongside all the doom and the, the apocalypse that's sort of slowly unfolding, there'll be something like, I don't know, Queen Elizabeth's teapot. And you're like, oh, why are lots of people clicking? You know, why are people talking about that? I'm going to click on that. And every single time it's a f***ing horse. Every single time I think something interesting has happened in the news, there will be some racehorse that's done something. And they always mm. have these names that sound like interesting topics. And I'm just sick of it. And it happens constantly. Yeah. I really wish there was a setting in Twitter that I could turn off. And I don't want any horse news. <laughs> it really, it really, this is one of my biggest bugbears. I, I'm slightly astonished this hasn't come up on the podcast before. Maybe it has. But I'm just airing it again, Dan. Really annoying. But anyway, what's your opinion on racehorses? Um, I, I quite enjoy watching horse racing. Okay. You could be a jockey. I've been a, well... You've, you've got a jockey's figure. Yeah, well, I used to ride horses when I was very young. Ah. Um, I used to go to a horse riding club. Um, this does not surprise was, me in the slightest. Which is fine until I had a, I had a particularly dramatic off once and the, the, the sort of expression, get back on the horse, mm. get back in the saddle... Um, I ignored completely and said, I'm not getting on one of those things again. They're, they're very dangerous. I stopped, I stopped <laughs> it's totally reasonable, I think. <laughs> yeah, I quite enjoy watching. I've been to a point-to-point -point a couple of times, but I've never been to I've never been to the races for, for the day. I'd quite like to do that next year, um, go to Ascot or something. Yeah, it's a very, um, I mean, certainly in the UK at least, it's a very class-divided thing. It's very much a middle-class and above, you know, pastime racing, watching racehorses, like... And, and, and you know, you get up to go, get dressed up to go to the races, and get. I mean, well, so my my best friend John um, is is a policeman officer, but a, a BTP, so he works on the trains. And I'm pretty sure he said to me before that 
Ascot and uh, oh, and Henley Regatta and stuff like that. That the sporting events that are for upper class people in the UK are by far the worst to try and police. Mm. Like because people just get absolutely plastered and yes, and they feel they're plastered and entitled, which is the worst combination. Mm. Yeah, it's a it's a potent combo, isn't it? Yeah, not the one. But so, is there anything? What's this racehorse? What are, what are we talking about, Lady Chatterley's lover? So. Chatterton, Chatterton I mean. who was foaled in 1919, Ooh. was an American thoroughbred racehorse best known as the leading sire in North America of 1932. Does that mean he had Bannerman? He could call other horse households to war. Yeah, probably. <laughs> 1932, when his son Ferreno won the Belmont Stakes, during his career he won 15 of 32 starts, including the Autumn Handicap and Falls City Handicap. So wait, is this horse famous because they were good at horsing, or are they famous because they were good at f***ing and making other horses? I think a bit of both. Right. So Chatterton was originally retired to Kelly's Stud Farm in California. After Kelly's death, Chatterton was transferred to Claiborne Farm in Kentucky. In 1932, he stood at Arrowbrook Farm in Illinois, but returned to Claiborne in 1933 after his son's win in the Belmont Stakes that we just mentioned, helping him make leading sire in North America. So because his son won, right. they were like, oh yeah, he'll, he can be leading sire now because he sired a total of 213 named foals, 107, 50% of which became winners. His 11 black type winners included Ferreno and champion Philly Current. Oh, so it's still got an active dynasty. Like this horse's DNA is still racing around tracks. I think so, but it, but so I'm looking at the um, background. Chatterton was a chestnut horse bred in Kentucky by August Belmont II, who had also bred the great Man o' War on the same cross of Fair Play with a daughter of Roxand. Now I've just clicked on Man o' War, and there's an enormous Wikipedia article about this. And Man o' War. March 29, 1917 to November 1st, 1947, was an American thoroughbred racehorse who is widely regarded as the greatest racehorse of all time. Oh, damn. Okay. That, I mean, that's that's a pretty bold... Oh, I'm struggling to care. Okay. <laughs> my, my bias against racehorses. I mean, okay, great. Good for that horse, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I don't... Looks like a quite a big horse. What, what, what made them so significant? I mean, was it, was it, was it the, the racing or was it the, the siring? I think it's hard to say. So, da, 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 let's see. Okay, well, this is this. If you don't like horse news, this sentence is going to annoy you. <laughs> at maturity, Mano War stood at sixteen point two and a half hands, which is about one hundred and sixty-nine centimeters, sixty-six point five inches, with prominent withers and high croup, but was sometimes uh, faulted for a dipped back that grew more and more pronounced with age. He had virtually flawless legs and solid bone. <laughs> <laughs> traits he passed on to his offspring he had a slightly roman nose and no and notably high head carriage his nickname was big red though his coat had tinges of yellow and gold an energetic spirited horse he is often pictured standing still standing very still and gazing off into the distance described as the look of eagles his stride was measured at 28 feet and to this day is believed to still be the longest of all time wow what was the could it, what was the description of his legs? He had virtually flawless legs and solid bone. <laughs> virtually traits he passed on to his offspring. That's something that we can all aspire to. All, all, all men everywhere. Good grief! <laughs> Crazy. This is a classic example. If I saw Man o' War 
trending on Twitter. Ooh, it's got to be something to do with a ship, right? No, it's a horse, immediately. There are going to be multiple times in this episode where things will come up. On or our... a jellyfish, right? Or a jellyfish, yeah, true. Either of which would be more interesting than a horse. Hmm. Well, anyways, he was bred by August Belmont II, who had also bred the Great Man of War, but I don't think they're related. Right. I was thinking this. You know how horses, like, you retire to a stud farm? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, I'm not sure how, like relaxing that would be as a as a retirement you know like if, if you're a human and you retire you're going to be about what 60 mm. it's like over, over this way sir you're just going to spend the next 30 years of your life having sex and i feel like if you retired at age 20 great I, th- I feel like that's something that i could get behind but if you're 60 just sound, do, you th- do you think that the male horses at these stud farms are actually just knackered <laughs> they're really not enjoying themselves it's not much of a retirement. Well, Chatterton died on the July 14th, 1933, due to kidney disease at a relatively young age of 14, but st- he's still sired an awful lot. Well, but, but 14 so, is what? Horse years to human... A horse year is six and a half... Oh, God, it's more complicated than that. Six and a half human years for the first three years of horse's life. Why, why, is, why, is, it, why is it like this? This seems so silly. But it, to be fair, it's like, you know, accelerated development, right? Humans have an unusually long developmental period. Mm-hmm. So, you know, other animals, like, they race through childhood. And then once they're in the main sequence of life, like, there's fewer years. So, like, from from the age of four, a horse year equivalency changes to two and a half years. So, uh, is there a table that I can consult for this? How old was the horse? The horse was 14, but I don't know whether that's horse years or human years. Okay, so 14 you know, human years would be only 43 human years. Well, sorry, you know what I mean. Like, it would be the equivalent of a human being about 43. Right. So, yeah, that is young. I don't know what the average life expectancy of a horse is. I would have guessed it was in its 20s. I genuinely don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. But, oh, there you go. Well, RSVP Chatterley. You, died, you were taken from us too young. You could have been having sex with other horses for many, many more years. I also was just, just to sort of as a, an idle speculation thing, looking at who has left the most descendants on Earth. Mm. So do you know Secretariat or Big Red, the horse? No. So Big Red is a ve- was a very famous horse. Big Red. The only, the only horse that I know of and that has its own Wikipedia article is Patu. Right. Which is the... Uh, you, if you haven't heard this story, this is a good one. It was the the owner told the stable boy that the horse was called Potatoes. Mm-hmm. But then what the stable boy wrote on the horse's door was P-O-T and then eight O's. So it says, Patoo! Ah. And apparently the owner found it so funny that he was like, yeah, it's the horse's name now. <laughs> it's Patoo! But that's the only one I'm aware of. Chestnut, Manistab, yeah. So Big Red's total earnings while he was racing was one million three hundred and sixteen thousand eight hundred and eighty-eight dollars. Good grief! Versus Chatterton, twenty-six thousand. How much of that money do you think Big Red saw? I don't want to. I don't want to cast dispersions here, but I think that the Big Red may have been mismanaged, and they didn't actually see very much of that money. Well, I've just gone to the bit. There's a, an enormous section on Big Red's retirement, stud career, and death. Right. He died at age 19. He was euthanized at the age of 19 because he became afflicted with laminitis, which is a disease that affects the feet and. It's when they swell up. It's if they eat too much grass. Feet of ungulates and is 
Yeah, and found mostly in horses and cattle. Yeah, I know that much. I dated a girl who my first girlfriend was a big horse horse girl. As in, no, she wasn't like was a, big a big horse. horse. She... <laughs> <laughs> my first girlfriend was a big horse. Wow. Gosh, you never told me this. <laughs> yeah, that, well, ho- that horseshoe above about... the door is actually one of hers. <laughs> learn, learn, uh, learn something about you every time we talk. It's lovely. <laughs> wow. <don't> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> still, still going. <laughs> my girlfriend, my first girlfriend was a big horse. <laughs> Your grandmother was a bee? <laughs> oh, man. This is the way that you just said that so nonchalantly, like it was a perfectly normal thing to say. Yeah, oh, yeah, I dated horse. her. My first girlfriend was a horse. 14 hands. A <laughs> bee. Bloody hell. Fierce knitter. Actually, that's a pony, isn't it? For, it was, uh, hang on, isn't it? Um, is a pony 14 hands two or something? That's the difference? No, I have no idea. Something like that. I don't know horses. But yeah, also, yeah, that was her height, not, you know, she wasn't like a beholder from D&D or a tangler. Just loads and loads of hands. None of those things have hands, I've just realised. They have arms, but not hands. Well, it has lots of hands. You get lots of things that have lots of arms, but not many things that have lots of hands. I don't know. Centipedes don't have hands. They don't. There's lots of hands. I'm genuinely... <laughs> Hang on. Creature with lots of hands. People at home are going to be, like, shouting at their screens. Polymelia is a birth defect in which an affected individual has more than the usual number of limbs. Okay, there's a great one here, Dan. I've got a good one for you. In Greek mythology, Hecaton Kyres, or Hundred Handers, also called the Centimanes, were three monstrous giants of enormous size and strength, each with 50 heads and 100 arms. Brilliant. In the standard tradition, they were the offspring of Uranus and Gaia and helped Zeus and the Olympians overthrow the Titans in the Titanomachy. Titanomachy. How have I never heard that name before? A ten-year series of battles fought in the ancient Thessaly comprising most of the Titans fighting against the Olympians and their allies. That's awesome. The Hundred-Handers. Love that. That is cool. So, well, so, yeah, so speaking of mythology, whilst you were talking, I was sort of looking up, you know, who's got the most descendants? There's a top ten list. Right. Uh, who do you think's at number one? Are we talking about horses? No, this is humans. Oh, uh, number one's probably, what's his name? Attila the Hun or something. So I thought this, uh, I think you may be thinking of Genghis Khan. Yeah, I'm thinking of Genghis Khan. Because that's the one that uh, everyone sort of thinks about. His uh, Apparently, one in every 200 men on Earth are directly descended from Genghis Khan, which is kind of extraordinary. Uh, but if you go to number one on this list, it's uh, it's Eve. Okay. According to the biblical gotcha. account, <laughs> Eve is the mother of all humanity, giving her nearly 7 billion living descendants, uh, and well over 100 billion since time began. Uh, great, thanks list. Although it does make the interesting point about mitochondrial DNA, because mitochondrial DNA is passed through the maternal line. So there is, like, one person that you can trace modern humans' DNA back to, uh, which was about 200,000 years ago, which is pretty cool. Above that is Abraham, then Muhammad. Charlemagne is apparently there. Oh, yeah. Uh, had 20 children, of whom a few carried on his empire. Uh, it doesn't say what happens to the other ones. Like, they became... Bakers and candlestick makers, I guess. Uh, apparently, he has half of the population of Europe is descended from Charlemagne, which is kind of amazing. Above him, I've never heard of this one. Everyone else on this list I was pretty familiar with, but Gwilym of Many Conquests. I bet. A 9th century Welsh nobleman and ladies' man, end parentheses, managed to sire enough children that today 7 million people are direct descendants of this smooth talking common ancestor. A balladeer known for his gilded tunic-dropping verse. Wow. Wow. 
Oh, damn it. It's a fictional story. This comes from an Onion article. Why are you in... It even says this in the list. Why did you put it in? I want that to be on my gravestone. About a balladeer known for his tunic-dropping verse. Why would the tunic Here lies. Drop? Should, should, the tunic is the bit on the top. I mean... Well, you know, we all respond in different ways, Simon. I guess. Uh, and then apparently the other one on this list that I wasn't aware of was Neil or Nile of the Nine Hostages. Apparently, uh, one in 12 people in Ireland descended from this guy. He was a warlord in the 5th century. Right. Uh, a member of his dynasty, who died a thousand years after him, thanks article, had 18 sons. Gosh. Good grief. Uh, oh, and at the very top of the list, Yitta Schwartz, a survivor of the Holocaust. Yitta spent her life thumbing her nose at Hitler. Uh, we, we condone that as a podcast. By replacing the Jews he exterminated. I am not sure... I- <laughs> I'm not sure okay with how this has been written. Um, she uh, had 2,000 descendants in her lifetime. Gosh. She had 15 children, each averaged more than 10 children of their own. Wow. By the time of her death, she had over 1,800 great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. Good God. I mean, speaking from a point of genetics, this is really bad, right? <laughs> it's like really not good. It's not... It's really, really not good. The gene pool has just got like a slide in it. <laughs> yeah. And that's Yitta Schwartz. <laughs> wow. That's quite the legacy. It's got to be said. Bloody hell. But speaking of legacy, something legendary happened just two days ago uh, because we're recording this this podcast episode just after you came in and visited, along with many other people, Pixel Wife and I's housewarming slash my birthday party. Indeed. It was great. Indeed. It was really great. I had a great time. It, it, it was sort of a, a, a day of, of many... Many parts to it. I mean, it definitely descended somewhat as the time as time went on. It started out and it was very civilised. It started off very civilised, except when after about five minutes of being inside your house, I needed to go and change my trousers. Yes, so um, what happened there's, was... There's a, there's a longer story about this. <laughs> I opened the door to Dan and he immediately goes, uh, where's your bathroom? Like, <laughs> walks away and it's just sopping wet on the back of your trousers. I was very kindly given a lift up from Exeter with our dear friend and director of Chapel Music, Michael Graham. And I think it's safe to say that there's something going slightly... The back seat of his car is less of a car and more of a pond, I realised, about halfway through the journey. Uh, whether there, there must be sitting water somewhere, and when somebody sits on a seat, the seat lowers slightly, and then water gets sort of sucked up through the seat and right. decided to deposit itself on, on my sort of back and all the back of my trousers, which wasn't great. But obviously that's quite a long story to explain, and Michael didn't help the situation at all when I then came back into the room and everybody else who was at this sort of party were rightfully querying why I'd suddenly changed outfit. Um, and without missing a beat, Michael had just said, oh yeah, Dan pissed himself on the way up. <laughs> and no matter no matter my then sort of like, haha, very funny, no, let me explain, that's now just, that seed is planted in the minds of everybody. Yeah. Oh, it's it's. So they're all going to be thinking maybe maybe he did piss himself. Yeah, maybe he did piss himself. Anyway, needless needless to say, I didn't, and I felt much better after changing into dry clothes. Oh dear, it was. Um, I mean, well, that, there was that, and also, I'm so recently, Pixel Wife and I installed a ring doorbell, which ah uh, yes, is is great. It's it's a good peace of mind while I'm away, and I can see. It also basically means that Pixel Wife and I can have no secrets from each other ever again. Like, mm. literally, uh, I came home the other day and I was like, what was that guy on a bike doing here? And she was like, oh, I, I got a cheeky delivery. <laughs> like, obviously, 
forgot that I could see this as well. But it also meant that um, at about, I think it was approximately 1 p.m. Sorry, 1, 1 a.m., but the clocks went back, so it was really more like 2 a.m. There was just you and our friend Ed Dunn out the front of our house. Uh, what He appeared to be doing some sort of spiritual healing on you because you were just sort of laying flat on your back on my driveway and he was just sort of waving his hands over you. I'm not quite sure what he was trying to accomplish. Yeah, I don't know. I think he was trying to bother me to the point of which I would just want to move to get away from him. <laughs> what, like me and, and my pets? <laughs> Basically. Which Also, yes, this is something that I want to mention. I want to air on the podcast. So... Pixel Wife and I adopted Susie, our lovely cat, who was very shy. And she was very brave for bits of the party and sort of, you know, lots of people came up and wanted to say hello to her. And she was very patient. And Adam, our previous editor, Adam, and admin of the Discord and his partner came up and, you know, spent a lot of time with Susie. Dan came up, however, and this was somewhat later in the night. You decided that the best way to try and break through this this nervous animal's facade was to speak Dutch to it. Yeah. Can you explain why? <laughs> um, well, as as people may have may have suspected, we quite a lot of us did get very very drunk. No, 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 this is yes, slander. I know, I know. Lies, a, deception. I know it's, it's very very shocking. Yeah, and I don't know. Clearly, my brain was like, "Yep, we're just gonna try and remember as much broken Dutch as we possibly can." Broken being the operative word. But what happened was, at the end of the night, when I was tasked with, I've got to get Susie out from under her table upstairs, she has a little spot, uh, and and put her downstairs so that she doesn't disturb the people who were staying up in in her room. Mm. There was me pulling her out from underneath this... (laughs) underneath this table and obviously she's got her claws into the carpet it's kind of ter- resisting this and I'm like oh come on baby it's alright and I just look over and I see Dan in a somewhat state of undress at this point sort of sweating and holding out a fistful of dreamies like a, f- <laughs> a full like you've just taken a fist and put it straight in the tub and you're like, you're like oh come and see here if you can <laughs> like, it was like I'm not convinced you know enough Dutch to form the sentences you were forming. You were basically just doing the Swedish chef from the Muppets. I mean, that's I mean that's close enough. I think I mean, especially bearing in mind that I'm talking to a cat. Yes. So there's like, be, it's me wrestling gonna, you know, with this thing. There's, and this scope for artistic license. This small stable boy just oh look, would you like the dreamy? Oh the dreamies? Oh would you like the dreamies? Great food, Kabudu. Like. It was quite... Beautiful. Stunning. It was quite something. (laughs) So thanks for your help with that, mate. (laughs) That's right, it's fine. I'm always here to help, you know me. Yes, absolutely. But but yes, that was part of a very fun, very eventful party. And I was was saying this to to Pixel Wife the, the morning after. I just feel like I love cooking for large numbers of people. Like mm. we, we well, Pixel Wife did the cooking for the almost all of the cooking for the actual party, and I did breakfast the following morning. There's something just so satisfying about having like a large table of people, and I mean, I was frying up bacon for people, which I was I was guiding people to a treasure I cannot possess, um, and just yeah, like buttering loads of bread and doing the bacon. It's like. I don't know. Felt like being a dad to a very large family. I liked it. Mm, it was. Very, I mean, it was so. That breakfast was so incredibly restorative. <laughs> yes. I remember, sort of, Pixel Wife had sort of thrust me a coffee, and I had sort of staggered to the kitchen table and was slowly consuming this <laughs> this, this bacon sandwich while it felt like my head was about to fall off. I mean, several people at that breakfast were in a very rough way. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it wasn't great. It was like watching a health potion go down. But then the but then the aspirins kicked in, and we had, oh actually it was so I mean it was it was sad to go obviously but um, we, I was driving back with Michael and Michael's partner and it, and I was I was in the back in the pond, um, <laughs> and uh, it was the most cozy autumnal drive mm. back to Exeter. It's a really gorgeous route. It is. To your house. It's really, really beautiful. On the A-roads, did you say? Yes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but it was so, like, th- we, you go, you're driving through a lot of countryside and, a, and, and quite a bit of forest through, through points. And it was so autumnal and it was, it was windy and then it started raining a little bit and then the sun came out and we ended up getting back to Exeter and then immediately going to Cote for a late lunch, mm. which was lovely. It was just so nice. It's a gorgeous time of year at the moment. Like it's just really, it's, autumn has properly arrived now. Yeah, it really has. It really has. And, and as a result, of course, um, we're actually recording this on Halloween. It's spooky. Of it's spooky season. Spooky. Yeah. We were, and we were greeted. We need to do a, We need to do a shout out to, I don't think we've ever shouted out discord but we ought to really say a massive thank you to them because we discord is sort of integral in the recording of this um <laughs> yeah. know, and again this is another sort of how the sausage is made we, we we rely on discord heavily to to talk to each other and then record our, our audio locally and then our wonderful editor fergus takes the two audio streams and puts them together and magic happens mm. but i called time in this morning and the first thing you said you picked up the call and you were laughing and you said has anybody called you on discord yet and i said no he said, "Right, hang up, and I'm going to call you back." And I was like, "Okay." And Discord have, have they have they've got a special Halloween ringtone, and it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's like the normal ringtone, but just a little bit spooky. Yeah, I love it when companies do stuff like it's that. It's great. It's great. I know it's like it's you're turning you're, the corporations are not your friend and all this kind of thing. I know that, but it's just a bit of fun and like. You know, Google replacing, they've got jack-o'-lantern as, instead of the O's today. Like, it's a tiny little thing, but it's, I don't know, it's, these are the things that make life worth living, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's its all the silly little things that you don't need to do, but are just enjoyable. That's why we're alive. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I know they're not my friends, but I'm happy that they do it. <laughs> but actually, something else that happened at the party, of course, was somewhat unexpectedly, uh, Ed Dunn friend of the podcast uh, uh just decided to put on the nightmare before christmas oh yes i remember that yep just just watching that at like one in the morning it's coming back to me in waves the later the night go, i mean i i remember everything up until a point and then it, <laughs> and then it's all gone i was listening to the part the fourth movement of the path the fourth and final movement of the path of miracles at one point i remember that yes you were outside um, my friend claire uh, also friend mm. who's been mentioned a few times i'm glad you finally were able to meet her um at, at the party um yes she was she was she was very very happy about the fact that it was just you two outside crying <laughs> listening to the path of miracles yeah it was great it was wonderful uh, if that happens at some point in the night of a party it's going to be a good party yeah i feel like i feel like this is the sign of when it was good is just there were lots of little moments like that happening and also i was i was trying to sort of flip between different rooms because we had i don't know like nearly 20 people i think here and it was like you know, sp- spotting around and making sure you're seeing everyone and everyone's having a good time. And it's just jumping into conversations at certain points and entirely different vibes were going on in different rooms. At one point, you and Pixel Wife were having a piano lesson from uh, Michael. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> Which all of you were quite far gone at that point. And so when you were like, well, I don't understand how you go from, you, you know, C to A7 to G. And Michael just goes, bam, bam, bam. <laughs> like... It was one of the least. My, it was quite funny. Things. Michael's teaching. Michael's teaching was just sort of being like, "Yeah, well, you just do this," and I was like, "Okay, <laughs> brilliant." Yeah, thanks very much. Don't explain it to me. 
he did, he's never done like I've never had formal singing lessons, but I sort of had sessions with him where he was sort of giving me tips. And once he was just like, so I think your problem is it's just you don't have confidence in what you're doing. You know the notes and you know how to do it. You just don't have the confidence. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And he went, yeah, just don't do that. <laughs> like that was the extent of his singing teaching. Like that thing you're doing, yeah, just can you not? Well, uh, well. Instead of getting wrapped up in all the spookums, Dan, let's let's actually take a step back and we'll, we'll we'll actually advance the plot of the podcast. And I want to ask you, what is your choral piece of the week? And this will be my piece of the week. Drum roll, please. Well, Simon, my choral piece of the week is a is an unusual one in that. I only came across it two days ago, I think. I've never really heard of this composer, and I've never heard of the piece, nor have I sung it. Interesting. But I've had a listen to it, and I really like it very much. And it is by Ildebrando Pizzetti. Right. And it's his Misa de Requiem. I saw a choir that I follow was going to be singing it as part of Remembrance uh, celebrations, I think. Or possibly, maybe an All Souls thing. Yeah, I think it's All Souls, because that's on Tuesday. The Feast of All Souls. Yes, but I hadn't I hadn't really come across him before, and it's, it's really great. It's a really, really wonderful piece of music. I like it very, very much. He was born in Parma in 1880. He was part of the Generation 1880, along with Respighi Malipiero, and Casella. Okay. They were among the first Italian composers in some time whose primary contributions were not opera. Yeah, so, but he's written a load of stuff, and he was, what does it say, he was named to the Royal Academy of Italy in 1939, as noted by Gianameo. Relations with the fascist government of the 1940s were often positive, sometimes mixed. He received at one point high awards, and the one symphony of his mature years was the product of a commission from the Japanese allies to celebrate the 6th... Oh. 26... No, 30... 26th centennial of the foundation of the Japanese Empire. Mm. Benjamin Britten's Symphonia de Requiem was also commissioned for this event, though it was rejected on account of its finale. Um, Its original finale was rediscovered after Britten's death and only premiered then. I feel like if you have a mixed relationship with Nazis... Sorry, with fascists, not Nazis. Mm. I feel like that basically is as good as being a fascist yourself, right? It's sort of an all or nothing kind of kind of deal. I get. Yeah, is my exactly. vibe. Okay. All right. Interesting though that we've come to this as our as uh, well rather I have chosen this for the choral piece of the week when just earlier we were talking about the idea of expurgation. Hmm. Yeah. The form of censorship involving purging anything deemed noxious or offensive from artistic work. You know, like, how, how does that work between the, the art and the artist relationship? Yeah, um, death of the artist, right? Indeed. Uh, sorry, death of the author, isn't death it? Death of the author, precisely. This has come up multiple times on this show, I, I feel like. Yeah, many times. Um, but, oh, interesting. Well, yeah, likewise, I'd never heard of this person. Very interesting. So I'll have to, I, I, in the show notes, I always put the link to these things, and I will give a listen to this one, because that's a new one to me. But... Tell you what, I want to prompt you for something, Dan. I want something else from you on a choral piece, but uh, I, uh, I'm going to jump us over into Critics' Corner to do so. So the reason I want to, to pump you for some information, Dan, is I'm incredibly jealous because you went to a gig that I 
could not go to because I was sadly otherwise engaged. I was in Oxford giving a talk mm-hmm. uh, to the Physics Society, which was fantastic. Um, but you went to see um, Tenebrae performing The Path of Miracles. I did indeed. And what was that like? It was marvellous. It was really, really amazing. I had a wonderful time. Um, my uh, my partner arranged the tickets and we had a really lovely day up in London, staying in Westminster with our dear friend Hugo Wickman. Love to see it. Also a fascinating day to be in Westminster on that Thursday because that was the Thursday that Liz Truss resigned. Yes, yeah. Um, our former prime minister. Because I heard the news, I was in, I was, I was filming at the time in uh, the Beescroft building, which is the new building in the Department of Physics, which was fascinating in itself, gorgeous, gorgeous building, but no mobile signal whatsoever, and I couldn't get on the Wi-Fi because I'm not a student anymore. So I was uh, entirely uncontactable for about three or four hours that afternoon. Left the building and my phone just detonated. Like, I've never seen such a flood of notifications before. It was wild. So yes, I, I was late to the party, but um, it, like you were a bit closer to the action. Yeah, it was very, very weird. Well, you were saying you were at a pub and you, there were some special advisors that were there, right? Yeah, there was a table of parliamentary special advisors sitting opposite us. We were in the Speaker, which is a lovely pub in Westminster. And uh, yeah, they arrived maybe 15 minutes after us. And it was safe to say that they were on on the beers. Um, so I don't know whether they were celebrating something or commiserating something or it's it's it was sort of hard to say but yes it was it was a it was an experience that's for sure and um went home had a little pre-concert drink uh, with Hugo um and Ridley which is very very nice indeed I haven't seen Ridley in ages and then wandered up to St Martin in the Fields I've heard the th- the second third and fourth movements live never heard the first one my question is do the overtones work in the first movement, live. Yeah, they really do. Oh, they really do. So jealous. It was amazing to hear the whole thing, and the, and the using the space of St Martin in the Fields was was great. You know, the choir was in lots of different places, and they sounded f- phenomenal. You know, it was really very good. Yeah, because I think when I saw I saw them next to Cathedral, um, and I think it was the third movement. They split out into multiple quartets throughout the space. Did they do that for you? Yeah. And then at the end of the last movement, they sort of one by one peel off and leave the space. Exactly. Yeah, they slowly um, slowly depart in groups of sort of three. Yeah. And then you hear the last bit, the prayer to St. James. Yeah. Oh. And they th- then they just walk off and the music stops when you can't hear it anymore. <laughs> I just... It was one of those moments where I didn't want it to end. And at the same time, I knew that if it did end, it would be perfect. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, God. God, it's just such a good... If people haven't... We rave about it so much. I think I'm actually appearing on a podcast in not too long to talk about it as a piece of music. If, if people have not listened to The Path of Miracles by J.B. Talbot, you absolutely should. It's, it's quite unique. It really, really is. But is there anything else that you've been consuming that you'd like to critique, Dan? Is there anything else? Um, oh yeah, I've watched the I've watched The Watcher on Netflix. Oh right, which is a sort of psychological thrillery thing, um, which I thought was quite good. Mm-hmm. Quite enjoyed that. And I've watched the first episode of The Devil Hour, The Devil's Hour, right, um, with Peter Capaldi. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen it, and in the advertising material, he still just looks like the Doctor. <laughs> yeah, like it's a little bit disorienting. Yeah, it's a thriller. And it's on Amazon Prime, and it's very, very, very good. Okay. 
I've, I've just really not watched much TV. Oh, sure, I'll tell you what I have been watching. Pixar and I have fallen down the Grand Designs rabbit hole. Ah, uh, yes. We love Grand Designs. We've we've become full middle-aged, I think, now. We own a house, and so we're like, oh, let's let's be nosy about other people's houses, and let's look at what other people are doing with, you know, far, far more money. And every cringing every time they're like with a with a modest budget of four hundred thousand pounds, and you're like, oh, <laughs> good god! Yeah, but it's great. I do love how he just how Kevin McLeod just doesn't give a sometimes. Like he just outright yeah. called people. That like we watched one that was set in a, a little village in Cornwall, where this couple were restoring an old mill. But basically, the outside was being restored to the way it looked, and then the inside I thought looked like sort of an Essex McDonald's mansion. Like it just looked like nothing like the original, and he basically just completely called them out on it. Like he's been going because how he's just quite a legendary figure, I guess, in in sort of the property sphere. He's been going for like twenty years doing this show. It feels like it's been about that long. Something like that, yeah. Um, actually, let's have a look. Grand Designs. When did it start? Been around for a long time. It started in nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, look at that. Good grief! If people don't know what we're talking about, Dan, what what is the premise of, of Grand Designs? People request for Grand Designs to come and film the journey of them building a sort of dream house or mm. building a particularly noteworthy house for some sort of architecturally noteworthy reason so it can be it could be sort of like an older sort of renovation of something um it's sort of like I don't, like any sort of real estatey building you show crossed with a sort of modern art mm edge to it in terms of the analysis and kevin mcleod the chap who presents it is very sort of you know what's the word he gets very i mean i think he gets quite sort of he's clearly very interested and he's you know he's a he's very into his art art criticism and architectural uh art criticism but also doesn't mince his words you know he'll sort of say things kind of like well how much did it you know how much did it cost you because you went to twenty thousand pounds over budget because you wanted to play at being project manager (laughs) you're like whoa kevin yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's a funny one. I do like it though. It's, it's very, it is very middle class. Like you can't, you do feel like it's sponsored by on the channel four. What's it called? All four. It's like sponsored all by Waitrose adverts, and you're like, oh yeah, this this feels about right. <laughs> so, but yeah, we we've been watching a lot of that. And what else was I going to say? There was another thing I was going to bring up. Uh, oh, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Star Trek. I've nearly finished my Deep Space Nine rewatch. And, well, I, I say rewatch. I've never seen these episodes before. There's an episode that I just watched called Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite, which may be the greatest episode of Star Trek I've ever seen because in the middle of literally the darkest arc in all of Star Trek, the Dominion War, and it's like really grim and dirty and nasty, there's a whole episode where they just play baseball. Like a team of Vulcans basically come on board and they're like, ah, we're better than you humans and we're going to prove it by beating you at your earth sport baseball <laughs> and then like the team from deep space nine are like have basically never played before apart from the captain and his son and so like they form this like this ragtag group of people including like a click like wharf the klingon and it's just great it's so silly i, I just there's a great bit where they're like <laughs> they know like how in baseball they chatter it's like trying to distract the batter with like you know here bada 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 all that kind of stuff it's like going around, they do this, and it just cuts to Worf the Klingon being like, death to the opposition. <laughs> like, Amazing. I love it. Absolutely love it. So I, I've, I've watched a lot of that, and I finished, well, a, a book and a half recently. I just finished uh, Aaron Dembski Bowden's Hell's Reach and Blood and Fire, which are two of the, a, a book and a short story um, that are some, meant to be some of the best sort of things in the Black Library, in the Warhammer 
uh, library and maybe controversial to people who who listen to the pod and who like Warhammer. I thought it was all right. I, I don't think it was as good as a lot of people think it is. It's definitely, it's interesting in that it, it people think it's good because it actually obeys more standard storytelling ideas, like having characters with flaws that they overcome. Mm-hmm. Like something that is just like, there are a lot of books that you read from the Black Library that are just entirely devoid of that kind of stuff. It's it's what what's, what's termed bolter porn. It's just, I just want to read about, you know, these fictional things that I like, blasting other fictional things I don't like apart with big guns. And yeah. this is a minor deviation from that in that it does actually have some interesting character development for at least one character. And yeah, it's 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 all right. I, I enjoyed reading it, certainly. It was like a, how much it was, like a 400-page book that I read in a couple of days, which for me is quick. Mm. I'm not a very fast reader at the moment because I just don't give enough time to it, whereas this was a proper page-turner. So yeah. I'm not going to... As I, I think it was Solitaire Town... Was it Sonny Townsend? There was someone from the Google TED event that I was at who basically said, in the context of climate change, I've got no f***ing time for shame. Like, within a climate context, don't feel ashamed about not doing things 100% perfectly. Which is... Oh, my uh, quick shout-out, by the way. Um, Isabel, uh, who came on the show as part of the Swedish uh, Wikicast, mm. and her friend came and visited Bath, and I showed them around. And we were talking about this with them, actually, how, like, in the climate sphere, a lot of people are, like, feeling a bit burned out in terms of climate activists by trying to do things as perfectly as possible. And I thought that Solly's point about, like, not having time for shame is a really valuable one. Like... If you if you know you're not going to do everything 100 100% perfect and it's far better to have a billion bad environmentalists than 10 perfect ones um you know who can you can keep it up all the time and i think the similar thing applies to reading like if you enjoy reading a book and it's something that you get you know emotional payoff out of then being ashamed for what you're reading if you enjoy reading Fifty Shades of Grey, then sure, you're, you're reading and you're enjoying it, and then it's for you. Like, for me, that's my Warhammer is my Fifty Shades of Grey, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but yeah, what are you reading? Are you still reading? Was it Murakami you're reading at the moment? No, I'm still, I'm about, literally about to finish, uh, what's it called? Brave New World, my Huxley. Oh, yes, you were reading that. What, what, how far in have you got? I'm literally, I think I've got like two chapters left. Right. But I haven't been, since finishing my thesis, I haven't really done as much reading just because I've been sort of vegetating, um, which has been quite nice. Although I'm getting quite seriously into cryptic crosswords, ah, which I'm enjoying very much, very, very much. Okay, um, I can see that. Mm, so I've been doing that in my uh, free time. Nice, very nice. Oh, cool. Yeah, I could see you doing cryptic crosswords, to be fair. I've no, I like doing the rapid fire ones. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't have the, I don't have a brain that works the right way for cryptic crosswords. I'll leave that to you. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, it's the, the, the book that's sort of set me off on it is a book about sort of talking about how they're constructed and, and what to be looking for when, help, when like, helping you trying to solve clues. You know, there's sort of unspoken rules and things to look out for. Mm. The most helpful of which is, is breaking up the cryptic into sort of, there's usually three parts to a cryptic crossword. There's the definition, there's the, oh, I forget the other words for it, but basically there's, there's the indicator which tells you what kind of a clue it is so it could be a sort of anagram clue it could be a homophone clue it could be a sandwich clue it could be a you know could be all of these different things Mm. Um, and then you've got the sort of additives i think which are the bits that you use to then find the word yes so when you're gonna when you can start spotting that it gets a little bit easier in that you sort of know where to start or it gives you an idea of where you think you might be going Mm. but otherwise it's it's a funny one you it, it just you just get better at it the more you um more you do it so i'm doing quite a few 
Oh, I was going to move us on to the next section, but quickly, two extra recommendations that I wanted to give a shout out to um, that I've watched and adored. And I'm trying to get everyone on to watch them as well. First of all, um, and I can't remember if we talked about this the other day, Internet Historian has a new video out. Uh, it's called Man in Hole, I think, or Man in Cave. It's about a guy gets trapped in a cave. And I have watched this hour and a bit video all the way through five or six times. It is really a masterpiece of, wow. and, and I say that meaning the story that he's telling is a mass is is incredible, but also the storytelling, both in terms of the script and the visuals, how it's put together, is so good. Like I watched it with Pixel Wife for the fifth time, um, but for her first time the other day, and in the middle there was one section where she just out loud went, "This is so good." Like, hmm. so um, highly, highly recommended internet historian um, on that. Like, sit down, strap in, it's worth it. And also, don't skip the ad read. His ad reads are fantastic. And the other thing that I wanted to mention is another new YouTube channel. Sorry, another new YouTube video about the same length, actually. I've mentioned them, I believe, before. Bobby Broccoli, who's a YouTuber. And I actually had a lovely chat with him the other day. I, he agreed to have a chat with me about how he makes stuff in Blender. And he's done a video on... Basically, the periodic table every now and again gets new elements added to it, right? Mm -hmm. And the way that you make those, and those are all at the bottom, the really, really heavy elements. And the way that you do the, that is basically smash stuff into other elements, hoping that it will cause um, the nuclei to form very briefly into a new configuration with a certain new number of protons and neutrons. And there's this idea that there's like an island of stability, whereas if you can do this and get them heavy enough, there's a, there's an island of uh, on the chart of protons and neutrons where you can get an element that will decay a little bit slower. And so its lifetime can be maybe measured in seconds rather than milliseconds or nanoseconds. And it's this video that he's made about a guy who faked his way into creating a new element. Like he, he had claimed that he'd made a new element with this method. Yeah. And it turned out it was a complete fraud. And how right. how he did it and how it was uncovered. He did a similar one before about a guy called is it Jan Hendrik Schoen, uh, which is a three part video series or maybe two part video series. Mm. All of his documentaries are amazing, and this new one is no exception. I'll leave a link to it in the show notes as well. Highly, highly recommended. But anyway, good grief, Dan. We've been talking for so long. We have. Gosh, I think it might be time for Patreon Corner. Patreon Corner. <laughs> So it's that time again where we find ourselves in Patreon Corner saying an enormous thank you to those who support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash the Wikicast. Um, for just $1 a month, uh, you can help us make this podcast a reality and, and keep it going. You know, with the with the money that we generate through Patreon, we're able to pay our wonderful editor, Fergus. We're able to pay for our hosting. And we were literally just having a conversation the other day about a, a, th a fun uh, thing we might be doing for Sponge and Electric. Yes, we've got plans. Which is very, very exciting. And I realise we've been saying that for a while, but we do have a date in the calendar for you coming and filming. Like, it's going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. There are also a few people who support us at Top Dog or Top Cat Tier, which is $5 a month. And that just is sort of going going the extra mile. And it's something, you know, that we appreciate so much to the degree that we read, read out the names of our respective teams. I, of course, am Team Dog and Simon is Team Cat. So without further ado, I'd like to say an enormous thank you to the Top Dog Tier supporters. These wonderful, wonderful people who agree like me that dogs are the supreme pet of choice. Thank you so much to Jay Wright, Ben McMurtry, Peter Reed, Codzo, Colin J. Brown, 
Alistair Fortune, Lexi at Front Desk, Hassie Hansen, Henry VII, King of England and of France, Lord of Ireland, Aaron Jorgensen, Naf Larocque, Sam Harvey, Andrian with an N, Chan, Ben Caples, Martin Narciso, Christian from the Alps, Amy Bonney, Lexi at Front Desk's boss, and Carl Waldrott. Thank you guys. Well, especially after the events of the party, of course I'm Team Cat. Susie is perfection. And so I would like to thank our top cat patrons, Anna Reifer, Lewis Hopton, Jean-Claude Marais, Nathan Flaherty, Dame Valerie III, Abu El Ella the Physics Boy, Christopher Betterton, Izzy CC, Jack Easton, Simon P, Nafi Iftikar, Leila Medina, Omar Miranda, Rents Kirk, Will Jenis Humphreys, Oliver Burghardt, Colm Mansfield, Isabella Strowski, Matt McGuire, and the one and the only Dan Hanvey. Thank you very much, everyone. You make the podcast possible. Now let's get on with the rest of the show. Top lad. I'm going to start with a uh, with a short one here, but it's a but it's a lovely one. It's from Darren from Lancashire, and he says, "Thanks for the podcast, chaps. Um, that's our pleasure, Darren. I uh, hope you're uh, hope you're enjoying it." And he's also done an excellent thirty six point three zero four three percent of a Prince Philip. Oh, that's a point because in the in the time since. No, we did do one episode previously, but I mean, previously we we, we the joke was that the the Queen Elizabeth was a dynamical unit. Mm. Now static. Now static. So do we have to do we have to update our unit of measurement of time to something else that's dynamic and so really confusing? We could do. We could. We could. We could follow suit with King Charles. Is that too logical for the show? Is my question. I think we need to leave it to the to the readership. Good point. Okay, yeah. Email in. If we, we, we need a new unit of time, justify it to us. I think we need something that's tentative, not fully logical. I think switching to King Charles is a bit too logical for us. But yeah, suggestions on a postcard. I would like to also read out an email here from Felix. So uh, I asked in the previous episode, what would you do 4,000 years ago to spur on human progress i guess like make the world a better place by taking some of modern ideas and giving them to people four thousand years ago and uh, felix is uh, written and saying hello simon and dan it's actually hello simon comma and dan lovely a second thought Good use of the oxford comma there very nice uh, assuming no barriers geographical assuming no barriers geographical linguistical or medical i'd probably encourage the people in my i don't think it's actually meant to be to <laughs> A Gilbert and Sullivan tune but assuming no barriers geographical linguistical or medical I'm just, I don't know about you, but I immediately think of that that number. Yes, uh, yeah, totally. Uh, I would probably encourage the people in my village to develop critical thinking, which would hopefully lead them to innovate themselves, from Felix. Now, I'm just wondering, like, sort of critical thinking, we think of as sort of, be, I think, being quite a universal human trait, but presumably there are, you know, like logical arguments that you can codify, right? You can write down the steps of. Is that something that we take from, like, ancient Greek philosophers? Or, I don't know. Is that the first, just the first time they were written down, maybe? Well, the tradition is always oral from its start, right? So it's probably just point, it's probably when it was first written down. Yeah. But, and, and I suppose, yeah, if you were to actually get sort of philosophical thought going 4,000 years ago, I mean, it's 2,000 years earlier than it happened. Mm. Now, that would be interesting. What, I mean, what is philosophy going to look like in 2,000 years' time? If you know what, what would the two thousand years of philosophy that you'd catch up on be? Yeah, would would Marxism have arrived around the same time as Jesus? Because I mean, you could very much argue that Jesus was a socialist. What if he actually had like a a Karl Marx figure at the same time? That's an interesting idea. What would philosophy look like in two thousand years? It is, isn't it? The knock on effects would be huge. Yeah. Okay. Well, Felix, thank you for that one. 
And we have an email here from... Oh, it's, look who it is. Simon, it's Brummy Mike. Oh, it's... Oh, Groitings! <laughs> Brummy Mike writes, to whom it may... Oh, this is the... The, the, the email is titled The Return No One Asked For. <laughs> okay, that's and us. Michael, that's uh, us. Brummy Mike, Brummy Mike writes, to whom it may concern, Groitings! You're right, it's Brummy Mike. <laughs> Back with another confusingly written email. I've emailed a few times in the past regarding the fact I can't speak, the fact I can't read, and fish fingers, I think. That sounds about right. Seeing as you seem to care very little about what we put in these emails, I thought I could update you on each of these things, and thank you for the advice you've given. First, in about February 2020, in the Pixel Girl special, now of course Pixel Wife, mm-hmm. I forced Simon into displaying his Brummy accent, and asked Pixel Girl how to improve my French accent for my A-level French, given my <clears throat> disadvantage. <laughs> she told me to look more into phonics and then joked that I should just move to France and become fluent. Simple. The phonics tip really did help. I shot from a B to an A star, uh-uh. um, largely through increased marks in the oral exam. Amazing. However, I have since undergone a weird metamorphosis from Brummy Mike into Bo- Bordelais Mike. I'm now studying at the University of Bordeaux. <laughs> oh, no kidding! Wow! So thanks, uh, thank you, Pixel Girl, for the tips. I did not expect to actually take all of them. That's amazing. I am going to have to screenshot this and send it to her. That's amazing! Bordelais Mike. Bordelais amazing. Mike. Bordeaux. God, I'd love to go to Bordeaux. Yeah. Two. Around August last year, I wrote an email calling Dan a <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you're going to have to be I more recall. specific than that. We get it. We get a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, that's most of the inbox, in fairness. I had spent a week in Buckfast Abbey and he talked about it for the first time on the pod only a week or two after. Oh, I remember this. Mm. However, the main body of the email was to talk about my fear of reading and ask for tips to get over the intimidation of books. You suggested graphic novels and non-fiction essays, both of which have definitely helped to break down the barrier down to me. Although I can't still just pick up a book and read, I've graduated to reading along with audiobooks. I think there is some judgment from society, especially given I'm from a working class background, now living in a middle class academic space. But I'm now just happy. I can engage in my own way and that works for me that's that's wonderful this is great this is one of my favourite emails we've ever had three I emailed at 5.30am in November 2020 very sleep deprived you'd asked us to email about something in the episode before but I couldn't remember what it was it was about fish finger sandwiches I have mine with just butter served with chips from the chippy just as as God God intended intended. yes I mean you also want to put some ketchup in there but that is how you make a a, oh oh nom 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 Oh, I immediately want one. <laughs> I had a chip butty yesterday, and now I want one again. Oh, they're so they're good, aren't they? Bloody good. And they say that white people have no culture. <laughs> so, thank y'alls each for both the sincere and insincere parts of the pod. You've helped me and many others in so many weird ways. GG, well played, Simon, on your marriage, and GG, well played, Dan, on your academic achievements. Tiradobit, <laughs> Bruby Mike. Mike. Oh, Mike. Wonderful. Fantastic. P.S. Any Wikicast. Asians in um, Wikicastations. I like that a lot. Oh, I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> That's dangerous well, I know to exactly how you feel about it. Wiki, any Wikicastations in Bordeaux, at me in the Discord. That's Mike A hashtag 7844. Wow. Which I like because it makes it sound like that's this particular multiverse version of Brummy Mike. Yeah, which is Earth 7844, obviously. Yeah. In the Wikicast multiverse. Yeah. Actually, so this reminds me, I was, um, I've really got, you know how like Michael gets really angry at small things sometimes, like seemingly yes. out of proportion. I was, to- I was washing up uh, yesterday morning and I was talking to him about how um, we got onto the subject of like post-credit scenes in Marvel films. And I was like, it's always, 
sense. It's always something like a guy walks out, in, you know, in a 10-second clip, a guy walks out of a portal and goes, hey, it's me, Blorco. And then, mm. Michael, you always say something like, oh, but that's Blorco, he's really important in the comics, like. And it <laughs> really funny. <laughs> 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 he was just like, I'm not Scottish. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> like he, he probably went for my throat. It was just really funny. <laughs> there we go. Sorry. That, that, just regional accents things, you know. Thank you very much for that, Mike. Amazing. Love it. So, Dan, what have we learned today? Today, Simon, we've learned about Chatterton. Oh, yes, we did. Open parentheses, horse, close parentheses, and then had a very long conversation about how much horse racing and horses generally annoy you. Yep. We dipped into the history of Man War and the horse Big Red. Talked about the party. We talked about sort of talked seeing each other party. in person uh, and you seeing our favourite piece of music ever live. <laughs> Absolutely. Critics Corner. Oh, lots of stuff in Critics Corner. Lots of recommendations. We had some great, great stuff in Critics Corner. We had a wonderful new discovery made the Missa de Requiem hmm. by Pete. Oh, gosh. What was his name? I've closed the tab. Oh, no. Oh, oh Jesus. Oh, sh- Oh, f- Pizzetti. Pizzetti. There, that's the one. Ildebrando Il Pizzetti, which is really cool. I uh, I really um, encourage you to have a listen. And we closed with some really wonderful correspondence. Yeah, this is a good one. And featuring the return, the triumphant return of <laughs> Brummy Mike. Mike. Fantastic. Love it. Absolutely love it. Well, that's all for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcasting service of choice. Join the Discord, and if you'd like to see our faces sometime soon, check out our YouTube channel, Spongy and Electric. New podcast unit of time suggestions, your worst or best Halloween stories, and other thoughts on the show can be sent to us at spongyelectric at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Join us again for another Tumbled and the Wiki Rabbit Hole. And And we'll we'll see see you next time. time.